You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And welcome back. Uh, we've got a great episode here for you guys today. Um, Jonathan Tuttle joins us, and he is a fund manager at uh, Midwest Park Capital um, and a co-principal. Uh, Midwest Park Capital is a, a private real estate investment firm providing accredited investors uh, with ex- exclusive access to high-yielding investments, um, kind of similar to what Red Knight Properties does, but he's in the mobile home park manufacturing housing uh, space. So we want to talk about um, what that is as an asset class, how that's different than multifamily, how he's able to finance those deals differently, um, and how he's able to still um, do the fund slash syndication model where you're aggregating a pool of capital to do a larger deal. Um, so Jonathan, thanks for coming on on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So talk to us about how you got started at Midwest. Um Talk to us why mobile home parks and kind of give us a couple case studies on something that you've worked on or things you're working on now in the future. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a contrarian investment. It's becoming a lot more mainstream and like a lot more media has got involved with and talking about, you know, the advantages of it in the last year. Got involved about 15 years ago at that time when you talked about it, people, and especially I was in my early 20s at that point, people were like, what mobile home parks, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so different from the traditional single family or multifamily is a lot more commonplace, obviously. Uh, my dad was a real estate developer, contractor, built 80 custom plus homes. So even as a kid, owned three real estate brokerage office. I'd be working on the job sites, uh, learning all different types of real estate asset classes and, you know, working on the weekends, you know, putting in the hard work, learning that from the ground up. Um, and learning how to create businesses and just seeing that from my dad he got involved we got involved in our first park around 2005-2006 and it was the only asset and our best performing real estate from 06 to 011 when everything else was going to craziness with the you know last downturn recession and at that time I was like this is when I went full on with mobile home parks because it was so resilient such a performer it didn't have any there was no effects from the last recession and uh, even uh, Wall Street Journal just did an article this year about it in January 2020. And it said that since the last housing crash, there's been nothing close in real estate in terms of performance uh, since of, uh, due to mobile home parks just being so resilient, you can't develop new ones. And at that point, I was like, I'm just going to focus on this full time. Excellent. Um, so talk to us about the differences. And are you buying mobile home parks fee simple? Are you doing land leases? Are you actually just buying the land? What are you... How is that structured differently from apartment buildings? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got a similar uh, feel to like multifamily. What we ideally, which we, our acquisition criteria, I should clarify, is we're basically owning the land and the tenants, you know, own their homes. And obviously, when you're acquiring an asset, there's going to be some park-owned homes. Uh, those are actually depreciated at 27.5. Like, our assets class are very similar in this. We both have the best tax depreciation schedules, like traditional commercial estates, 39-year depreciation, uh, tax depreciation. Multifamily is 27.5. The park-owned homes are 27.5 if there is uh, 
portion of those. And then the land improvements, most people don't know this, but our niche is the concrete and like, you know, where the homes are on that depreciates at uh, so about 65 to 70% of a typical acquisition can be written off plus bonus depreciation. Uh, but yeah, typically we want it where the tenant, for example, Fannie and Freddie are financing deals now, like really big in our space. There's, they have to allocate 37% towards affordable housing. Um, and our niche is the biggest recipient of it, obviously. And one of their stipulations is in their financing is they want like 20 or 25 or less uh, park owned homes. Or if there's a little bit more than that, they want to see an exact plan of how you're going to get rid of those and get it. They want that off the books and you to focus on the land lease. So land lease is what gives that. It's, it's just a lot easier, more efficient management, management efficiency is just a lot easier to run. So basically you want to own the land times, you know, you collect lot rent for each lot and just have really good management efficiencies. Um, and one way to increase the value of the park, you know, look for improvements, you know, build back the water, sewer, the utilities, if you can, uh, ethically raise the rents. And, you know, over time, you know, that's when you get that really nice spread. So just like multifamily in that regard. Sure. Um, so can you t- kind of talk a little bit about, um, the scale of the mobile home park business. So when you're picking up lots with, with homes on them, um, how many are you doing for one deal? Obviously you mentioned you have a fund. So what does that look like? How's the capital allocated towards mo- mobile home parks? Cause what I've been finding is there's a lot of mom and pop mobile home park owners, but they're typically, they only have maybe 50 or a hundred homes on them. So I don't know how you're finding, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing larger deals. So how does, how do you find those? And, um, how does that work? Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. And this is why I think some of the, uh, one of the reasons we were overlooked as other asset classes, because for scale, you know, if you're just trying to build a big fund, like we could have raised five times as much money, but to find those types of parks, it's just like you just said, a lot of the parks, the majority of the parks were developed mom and pop owners still, which is good. It's fra- highly fragmented. It's only about 8% institutionally owned at this moment, but we're seeing like a five-year compression, like could be another five years of like wall street's really getting deep uh blackstone has bought a couple billion dollars in parks in the last couple of years apollo group all the biggest you know wall street private equity firms in the world are really in our space but they're not buying the typical mom and pop deals they're waiting for people like us to pull together a fund or pull together scale of economics and put together 50 million assets you know not just a small three or four million dollar park which is a typical mobile home parks probably right in that range depending on your Obviously, Florida, California, different dynamics, but Midwest, probably three or four. If it's it's like 50 lots uh, or 100 lots, say, give or take. So that's the biggest the biggest opportunity for something like our fund is getting a 75 to 250 units. It's a lot of industry relationships, just like any other business. Since COVID, we've been the top performing asset class. Uh, Green Street Data just did a report this past week, I think it was, two weeks ago. And we had a 12% increase in value this year. Uh, we're seeing, obviously, multifamily sell this really well, but if you look at office buildings, I think some of that will come back, but office buildings, you know, we're on a Zoom call here, but office buildings have been totally changed. Hotels, not just from Airbnb, just the fact that you're seeing for another dynamic that's really exploded is RVs have been exploding <laughs> this year because people are working from home and they want to get away from school. The kids aren't in school, so RVs are growing. But uh, yeah, so office retail, you know, restaurant properties, uh, all those different other asset classes that did perform pretty well for the last, you know, decade or so, 
have all been based on government you know, restrictions and COVID just totally changing the game. We're seeing some of those players that have a lot of money trying to get in our space. So we're seeing a cap rate compression that we've never seen before, combined with the fact that Fannie and Freddie now have to allocate 33% to affordable housing. So you have this, you know, this huge demand and we've got this data showing that we've been performing really well. So all of a sudden, like all these new players are coming to space. So one of the advantages of us is I've been in this space 15 years uh, and I brokered, you know, was partner with one of the biggest brokers in the country previously. We have a lot of relationships in the industry and also just with the brokers and then the owners. So having that deal flow, that somebody coming in this space, they're not going to get first access to deals because they don't know, like, and trust them. So just kind of having that. Uh, but that's the biggest thing What you said is the scale. It's If you're just a one-off person looking to invest, you could scoop up a 30 or 50 unit park as long as it makes sense for scale of economics, makes sense for management, you know, you're not buying a job. But those are where like a lot of the opportunities are at. It's like those 30 to 50, that's under our criteria. But if you're, you know, somebody wants to increase your net worth, it's a great little asset that's, you know, mailbox money, basically. Sure. So can you talk about the scalability a little bit more for mobile home parks? So obviously you were able to scale um, enough in the past in order to create a fund. So how, what does your fund look like? Um, just curious. Sure. So our criteria is 75 to 250 units. Right now, we've had this past year, it was like a lot of it was due to, which we'll, we foresee for the next year too with the new administration coming in. But we've seen a lot of, like, because mom and pops have had these for 30, 40, 50 years. And they're seeing with the cap rate compression, which means higher prices and better exits for them. Uh, and then also some of them just don't like new tax laws that could be coming in. You know, like 1031 might go away. You know, those words on the street that, that might change. So you have people that are like, well, you know, if there's new tax laws coming in, there's new, you know, restrictions on real estate, we're just going to get rid of the asset. Now, I don't want to keep it. I'm 70 years old, 75 years old. I'm not going to keep it another 15 years. Might as well get the highest price I've ever got for it. So we've seen a huge influx of like, just a perfect storm of like huge, you know, demand for mobile home parks and then great financing, uh, performing incredibly the best performing. And then on top of that, sellers are like, okay, well, I don't want to worry about the new laws coming in. I might as well just cash out. So we've seen a huge amount of listings that have never been, I've never seen anything like that in 15 years, which has been so many quality listings available. Uh, and I think we're going to see that for the first, for the next year as well, just because, you know, 1031, people are kind of worried about that. So you can see some, still a lot of good listings over the next year. Sure. Yeah. No, nobody really knows yet. So besides the the political, uh, potential political risk, no one really knows. Um, yeah. Well, you know, besides that, um, I guess, you know, what's the story for mobile home park versus multifamily? I'm just from, from my own knowledge as well. Sure. Sure. I mean, well, yeah, looking for come up perspectives for, for the tenants, what we, our competitor, biggest competitor is class C apartments. So typically a mobile home tenant, it's, you know, if you're in the same town, the same or secondary tertiary market where majority are, are at are located, uh, you're one third the price of a single family house. You're probably 75 to 85% less in taxes uh, over the course of years. So that pays, that's your free equity. Even if the thing doesn't, the trailer doesn't appreciate, you're paying a couple hundred bucks less per month. It basically is free rent, you know, equates to free rent if they were living in a house. And where our biggest competitor is Class C apartments. Well, if 50% of our demographic approximately is baby boomers. There's 10,000 baby boomers retiring a day for the next decade. We know that's going. We also know there's a silver tsunami happening where the baby boomers have had their houses are going to cash out 
they're saying two thirds of houses that the baby boomers are going to get rid of in the next 10, 15 years. They're not going to, they're going to either look at classy apartments, maybe assisted living centers or most likely mobile home parks. Uh, assisted living center, it's, the drawback to that is 70% of most uh, senior citizen baby boomers, they only make, they only have like $30,000, $35,000 in their bank besides their house, and they only have the Social Security. So they don't have a lot of savings, so they're not going to most likely spend five, six, seven thousand 7000 a month for assisted living, luxury living, which there's demographic for, but it's, it's only one-fourth American. Uh, for us, our biggest competitor with uh, Class D Apartments well, you're looking at like 1960s, 70s, you know, garden style, three, two or three steps of flights up. Well, these senior citizens, they don't want to go walk up three flights of stairs. They don't want to have their neighbor hear the TV down, the kids screaming down the hall because they're right next to each other. They don't want to have to park their car half a block away and walk with their groceries. Uh, and then they don't have to, they want peace of mind in their own little lot. So that's what really draws them, these senior citizens. And they're the best tenants because they literally like, take care of their, you know, the assets really well. And they have all these advantages for it. So that's one of the things that really differentiates from the tenant side and from the investor side. Uh, historically, over the last 50 years, we've had the lowest failure rate. Self-storage is the cl next closest. And then for the last decade, we've been the top performing uh, real estate asset class. And then COVID this year, even Green Street said we're the top, but we've had a 12% increase. And the reason comes down to supply and demand. You can't really develop new parks. You can always build new apartment buildings. You can always build a lot of different asset class, but we have a zoning stipulations, restrictions. So you just can't buy like a land, piece of land in the middle of nowhere and say, hey, I wanna put, put a park in here. Well, A, you have to get the approval from the city and that's a lot of legalities and you have to, you know, basically, you know, work with the bureaucrats and hopefully they'll approve it. Highly unlikely, there's only been about 10 parks developed in the last 20 years. There's been some conversions and usually what they are they include in some of those that are off, off that data. It's usually like an RV or self-storage component where they say, hey, well, it's a mobile home park. Well, yeah, they also have you know 100 self-storage units there. It's not officially a mobile home park. It's a mixture. Uh, but And then plus, if you're developing a new park, you're not going to find old new homes and bring them all in. You're going to find new homes, and new homes are 50, 80, 100,000 per lot. And that plus, you have to put in the infrastructure. You have to you have to develop the land. With, you have to put in the streets. You got to put in the lights. You got to put in the, you know, you know, the water sewage, all that stuff. So it ends up being like this huge cost prohibitive. You're not even making a profit for the first four or five years. So instead of buying a park that's already cash flowing business, you already know the last 30, 40 years financials, and you could see where the inefficiencies are. You could do, you could see any of the costs that you need, the CapEx, and you're acquiring a park through due diligence, and you see the, you know, make sure it's grandfathered in, make sure all the, you know, all the challenges are already over, you know, factored in the price. It's a lot better to buy something that's already cash flowing already. You can't develop new ones and you have 60 million Americans in affordable housing and there's only 12 million mobile homes, 44,000 parks. So it's just huge supply and demand. And then every time there's downturn, we're the only affordable option. Sure. Uh, that, that definitely makes sense. So talk about the management uh, versus multifamily a little bit, because, you know, you mentioned that at least for your parks, the tenants own their homes, which means what? So if they're, they have a leaky toilet, if they have a, leaky faucet, who takes care of that? Yeah, great question. So we use a third-party management and we also have managers on site and we use like the biggest park operator for management. And they have, uh, I think Blackstone and Apollo's, so the big Wall Street, they have 34,000 lots in their management. Uh, usually one-fourth of managers we have to get rid of. We train them when we come in too, to based on standards. So it's all about setting standards, creating transparency, like everything from 
like the call rail, recording the calls and they call the call, you know, the front office, you could see, hey, you know, we could see you're doing your job. We could see on the social media pages if they're not responding on a timely matter. Uh, in regards to tenants, you always want to come in. If you, before you do your due diligence, talk to local police department, see what the you know sentiment is of the park, if there's problems or issues there. Then also, uh, when you go into the park, even when you're doing your diligence, go in day and night. Act like you're going to be like, hey, my grandma's, you know, button-up t-shirt or casual t-shirt, not a suit, not in like a luxury car, rent like the local Honda, you know, from, you know, <laughs> you pull in like, hey, my grandma's thinking about moving here. What's it like here? Is this a nice community? Is it safe? Ask the tenants and they'll talk their head off and they'll tell you exactly like, oh yeah, this is a great place. I love it here. I've been here 20 years. You hear that, you know, it's going to be a quality park. But when you come in, the, when you take over the acquisition, make sure you have the rules and regs down. So you say, hey, this is what the new standard is. I'm going to put in, plus when you come in, you're doing a capex, you like beautify the park, the front entry, uh, fix any potholes, cut any trees because you don't want trees falling down on the homes. Uh, add some amenities, you know, some grills, add a little dog park, you know, uh, just add some amenities, make the place feel rejuvenated and better. Uh, and then come in and just make the park just a better place to live. And that's going to get a better quality tenant and people are going to want to take be part of this new, you know, new energy coming into the park. Sure, no, that makes sense. So I guess just to, I guess, reiterate a little bit. So if it's because the tenants own their own homes and they have a repair issue, you still have a staff that can help them. Yeah, so yeah, we, re we recommend it. Yeah, sorry, you fully answer your no. question. Yeah, so yeah, so I just give a more macro, but a micro level. Uh, yeah, we we have uh, you know people with trusted resources that come in and help them with that. So yeah, it's in most of the time. The thing with mobile homes, it's not really complex compared to like other real estate, there's not too much to, it's basically like a big box. You can't, for example, you can't even take out and change the windows on the outside. Say, hey, I wanna make the windows bigger. I wanna add an extra window on the outside or I wanna make this new sliding door that doesn't fit the frame. You do the outside changes like that, it's gonna make the, the home collapse. It's basically a box. <laughs> so the main thing is just having rules and regulations, make sure the skirting, make sure the yard's clean, having like, you know, just to make sure the power washed outside or paint the outside so the units look nice. If they have any problems, they we have re recommended, you know, license insurance handyman to come on that can take care of it. So since mostly, I mean, majority of the park owned, majority of the units are tenant owned, not park owned. And we always want to get those offhand, but we provide resources for them, but it's not any different than your local handyman coming in to fix stuff. And unlike on apartments where it's, you're really, that's your big priority to have the manager come in you know, fixing all the different stuff. It's more on the tenant than us. We provide those resources. Excellent. No, that's a big, big difference for sure. Um, so Jonathan, how can people find you? How can they learn more about mobile home parks as we try to wind down our show? I know you mentioned you have an educational component too. So how can, you know, my yeah, audience exactly. get educated as well? Yeah. So we have two things. I have the Mobile Home Wealth Academy, and that's mainly for people that are not accredited investors or for people that want to get involved with the easiest form of real estate. It's teaching people how to find, fix, and flip or trade contracts for mobile home parks. It's the, you don't need a high credit. You don't need a huge down payment. You don't need a lot of money. There's not a lot of challenges. It's easy to market. Uh, they sell incredibly quick because there's, you know, 60 million Americans need affordable housing. There's only 12. Uh, there's not much competition. It's overlooked, as we both mentioned to begin with. So it's really just an avenue for people that want to get involved with this real estate, learn from the ground up from experts. We have the best of the best. Uh, and it's just an easy way for me to help people because the fund is only for accredited investors. It was kind of a solution. I had people like, hey, what are you going to involve with this? Well, then 
I'll do it. I can't sit there and manually do every person one by one. I could do an online course, have a Facebook community, provide all those tools, resources they need, be successful in you know, finding and flipping mobile homes. So that's the Mobile Home Wealth Academy. And then the fund is for accredited investors, and that's Midwest Park Capital. And that's kind of more of a general website, giving that kind of benefits and how we see the opportunities. And then MidwestParkCapitalFund.com is she has the, uh, the private placement memorandum. That's where they can register to see what's going on with the business. Excellent. I've encouraged my audience to, to do both. Um, so uh, we'll have the link to Jonathan's, the, the two websites in our social media platforms and in our iTunes description as well. Um, and if you liked what you heard or saw today, please feel free to give us a um, iTunes rating and review. It helps Jonathan and I get our message out to a greater audience. And again, Jonathan, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you.